Thanks for listening to the Escape Yourself podcast. This is Chris Howell, lead pastor at Berea Christian Church, and I just wanted to give a little introduction to today's guest speaker. Today we have Dr. Jim Evans with us. He's coming to talk about a question that was offered up to us, asking simply, how should the church handle depression and other forms of mental illness? And Dr. Jim Evans is a counselor, community Christian counselor and counseling in Terre Haute, Indiana. Uh, he helped co-found that non-for-profit organization nearly 16 years ago, and we invited him to come in as a professional to uh, help us understand a little bit more about int- mental illness, depression, how it relates to scripture and to the church as a whole. Thank you so much for listening. If you or someone you know could benefit from services offered by Community Christian Counseling, please give them a call ASAP. Their phone number is 812-244-0400, or you can visit them online at communitychristiancounselinginc.com. They've helped people with a variety of life challenges these biblical principles to counsel those in need from depression to anxiety, pornography, other sexual addictions, premarital counseling, planned and unplanned career changes, parenting skills, anger, bitterness, childhood behavior issues, family conflict, communication difficulties, physical, emotional, and sexual abuse, substance abuse, divorce care, grief, and suffering, life's challenges due to health issues and even crises of faith. Please, Don't hesitate to call today if you need help. Thanks for listening. Well, good morning. I uh, am so honored uh, to be uh, back here. It's only been, as Pastor said, 21 years. What happened? (laughs) 21 years. Um, um, As I recall, the main focus of the time together was to pray in Pastor Tom. That seemed to have worked pretty well. Uh, and, uh, and now Chris and his family are here. Uh, what a wonderful thing it is to, to have the privilege of living long enough to see God's plan unfold and to realize uh, that it's rarely about us, but about his, uh, his kingdom unfolding before us. Are you good at thinking on your feet? That is, in the middle of a conversation or a project, and without any warning, you have to change direction quickly. Uh, Not everyone is good at that, and if you do it too often and you're a teenager, you'll soon be diagnosed attention deficit hyperactive, and they'll put you on a medication of some kind. We uh, adults call that uh, multitasking. <laughs> I'm not sure what's different about it, but, uh, but, it, but uh, not everyone is good at that. If you turn in your Bible to a uh, little book of Mark, got your Bible with you? Turn in your Bible to Mark 12. Jesus is, uh, in chapter 28, Jesus is preaching on a topic that was pretty controversial at the time, pretty heavy topic. He was teaching on marriage and the resurrection. You don't hear messages about that very often either anymore. He was talking about marriage and the resurrection, and, and, uh, and in, the middle of the, in the middle of the message, a teacher of the law interjects a question. 
And Jesus has the opportunity to multitask. And the teacher of the law asks the question, uh, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Now, if there was ever a loaded question, that was it. Teachers of the law were always looking for ways to find a talking point uh, on our Lord, were they not? And Jesus, as Jesus frequently did in asking, answering a sidebar question like that, there's a phrase that the gospel writers speak uh, often. They say, Jesus knowing their hearts. Listen, if, if I knew people's hearts as well as Christ did, nobody would ever come to me for counseling, I assure you. But he answered their question uh, in a way that they could not have imagined, much less anticipated, when he asked the question, what's the most important command? And his answer was this, hear, O Israel, listen, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and all of your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Jesus didn't pull that out of thin air. He knew exactly what Moses wrote about 1,400 years before in Deuteronomy. And it's almost like he was ready for the question. It's important to stay ready for the questions, is it not? Heart, soul, mind, and strength. Pastor Chris has asked me to come and share with you some this morning about the Christian or the biblical view of mental health, particularly depression. So let's do that by starting to look closer at what, how Jesus answered that question. I'll interject here that the things that I'm about to say and the things that I'm about to espouse about counseling, about depression, uh, reflect my biblical worldview of life. Uh, all of you may not agree with what I'm about to say, but the biblical worldview of life has a, a, a specific uh, view of how to view uh, ourselves as fallen creatures, about God, who He is, about eternity. Uh, some worldview, some counseling models uh, don't have much use for uh, a definitive good and bad and right and wrong, a creator, much less a savior. The problem with a, a human-centered worldview is that it doesn't compare well with reality because if, there, if you're sure that there is no absolute right and wrong and good and bad, what do you do when the message comes? Your condition is terminal. I want a divorce. I don't love you anymore. Or even harder... Your missing child has been found brutally murdered. What do we do with right and wrong and good and bad at moments like that? Heart, soul, mind, and strength. One writer said uh, that uh, those kinds of terms are something that we all understand until we're asked to define them. <laughs> and explain what they are. 
the, ways that I'm, the way that I'm going to define it or talk about those things is not what I think they are. The goal is not what does Scripture mean to me, but what does Scripture mean to the one that was hearing it for the first time. That's the way to interpret Scripture. Heart. Poets and writers have waxed eloquently for years about follow your heart. Haven't you heard that? Song after song. Follow your heart. The problem with that is Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is what? Deceitful <laughs> above all things, and no one can understand it. The goal is to follow a deceitful path? Excuse me? Follow your heart. Well, what songwriters and poets are talking about usually is to do what we most desire at a given particular point in time. What feels good? That sort of started with my younger generation. If it feels good, what? Do it. Follow your heart. The dangers of living like that are legion. And another sermon series for Pastor Chris. <laughs> when Jesus referred to the heart, he was describing and talking about the inmost part of who we are. Not how we feel, but truly who we are and what we value. What we value, what we treasure. That's our heart. Jesus said it in, in Matthew 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's a powerful word, what you treasure. You don't hear that much anymore. Treasure. What do you treasure? What do you hold most intimately dear? What do you cherish? What is most precious to you? Trouble can come when what we say we treasure and what we, tr and what we value, when we say we value, really isn't. So our heart is our innermost person. I would say it's the person that only the Lord knows. <laughs> really. Only the Lord knows our innermost self. Heart, next is soul. We'll speak more about our soul in just a minute. Uh, I kind of think of our soul as uh, it's a place where what we treasure and value comes to live and comes to life. If, we value, if what we value, if we treasure things that are good, if we treasure things of heaven, if our, our, that means our soul will be good. Eternal things. But if what we value and treasure our earthly things and things of this earthly life, what we place, what we want, most valuable, we tend to become very self-serving and self-centered. It's almost inevitable. Psychology would call that narcissistic. Some counseling models call it self-esteem. I will tell you that for every person that I work with, that struggles because they love themselves too little. I work with 500 that struggle because they love themselves too much and demand to do what they want to do. I think of our soul as the engine sort of that drives our behavior. It's the engine that drives our behavior and our behavior is what engages us with the physical world. 
And it's, it's what most people see and know best about who we are. That is our soul, our mind, heart, soul, mind. Well, that's our thoughts and our intellect. I put our emotions here because they can change fast. They can change quickly. Our minds are unique to each of us, but our human mind is unique in all of creation. Why? Because they're made in the image of God. Moses explains that in Genesis 1. We are made in the image of God. Let us make man in our image and our likeness, God says. Our dog, Callie, is, uh, is a loving, faithful dog that's usually very calm until what? Squirrel! <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> what happened to Callie? <laughs> she disappeared, and it's not going well for the squirrel. She becomes a different creature. She becomes a dog. Regard now, my wife will be here second service, so I'm going to be careful about that. She doesn't always view Callie as a dog. <laughs> as for believers, the Bible talks about the temptation to live like that, doesn't it? But instead of squirrel, it's new car, new house, beautiful woman. Handsome man. Paul tells us to live differently than the world in our mind and our thoughts. 2 Corinthians 10, beginning at verse 5, he says, We demolish, now listen, we demolish every argument and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Taking captive every thought. Chasing a squirrel is not a stronghold or a sin for Cali. That's instinct. That's the way God created dogs. She was born that way. And some people do demand if some people demand that how they live and want to live are in fact ways I was born that way and have no interest in taking captive every thought to the obedience of Christ. None whatsoever. Heart, soul, mind, and what? Strength. Guys, that's where we come in, right? Heart, soul, mind, and strength. Our strength speaks of our physicality and brings things physical into the picture. If we value and treasure things that, are, that will make us strong and we exercise, our physical body will be strong. If we don't do that, our physical body will not be strong. Jesus was made and created into a physical being. And when God created our, the physical hu first human beings, he said, it is not just good, but what? It is very good. So there's great value in our physicality. The trouble is we can begin to place things in our physical life and our physical priorities up to idle status and can overtake our lives. The four aspects of our, of our creation, heart, soul, mind, and strength, they are distinct from one another, and yet they are invariably connected. What do I mean by that? 
No one is a spiritual giant when you have the stomach flu. Okay? I'm not. When we have the stomach flu, our physical is front and center, and all we want is some relief. Usually sleep. In like fashion, as I mentioned, as a, one of the chaplains at Union Hospital, when the physical begins to fail, even unto death, the physical people tend to turn loose of the physical, don't they? And they want to talk about and consider things of the Spirit. Turn in your Bibles to, uh, to Ephesians, the wonderful little book of Ephesians, chapter 4. Let's take a look at how all of that intersects with Scripture. Chapter 4, verse 17, beginning at verse 17. Paul writes, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Wow. Paul is writing to the first century church, but he's writing to us today. Essentially what he's saying, if we as believers, if we choose to live, if we choose to value according to the world and what it, it values, we take on a sin habit. It's not if we ever sin, because we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. But if we take on a life sin habit, it begins to change us. It changes how we think, and our thinking becomes futile. It changes how we view and, and see the world. It becomes dark, and our heart becomes hard. And someone with a hard heart is capable of doing unspeakable things. I'm almost afraid to turn on the television anymore to see what the latest thing that a hard-hearted person is capable of doing. So in this case, Paul is saying, choose to, choose to live your physical life in a way that treasures things in heaven. If you don't, there's a price to pay. Jesus said uh, several times in several ways, in this world, you will have trouble, and there are many possible sources of trouble. And how in our emotions and, and, and our mental health is connected. Now listen, our emotions and our mental health is directly connected with how we respond to trouble in this life. And trouble is unavoidable. And depression is one of the most common responses to trouble. Did you hear me? Depression is one of the most common human responses to trouble. Thus, depression is, is the most common reason people seek counseling services. Not even close. Always the most common. Take a left in your Bible and go back to Psalm 42. And let's take a look at depression, what, what the Bible says about depression. Psalm 42. I'm going to read this, so follow along. Probably familiar to some of you. 
As a deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go to meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while men say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession of the house of God, with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, from the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep. In the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forsaken me? Why must I go about mourning and oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me all day long, saying, where is your God? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. It's a writer having a conversation with himself, isn't it? Why are you downcast, O oh my emotions? Why are you in the pit? He was writing, Psalm 42 and 43 were, uh, were, were songs originally meant to be sung in church as one song, a lament, because, because the Israelites were in exile away from their home country, away from what's familiar. Their souls were hurting. They were confused and fearful. As a deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. I don't know what you think of when you think of the idea of your soul panting. The original hearer would have known that the writer was talking about the, 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 the agony of the most inner part of themselves as a living, breathing, conscious, personal person in a desperate moment. My tears have been my food day and night, ongoing sadness to the point of openly weeping, even for days. The weeping isn't the root of the problem, it's a reaction to the situation and the desperation. Why are you downcast, O oh my soul? Downcast soul, oh my despondent, disheartened, discouraged. My whole being, all of who I am is downcast. 
All your waves and breakers have swept over me. Did you ever stand on a seashore or in a river's, a fast river stream? Water is a powerful thing, isn't it? Standing against it is hopeless, physically not possible. Mourning and oppressed by the enemy. Listen, deep sorrow, oppression, moved into suffering. Harsh authoritarian situation. And lastly, my bones suffer mortal agony. My emotional state of affairs has moved me into a deep, even life-threatening physical pain. And pain is the hallmark of depression. I recently had a conversation with a dear friend who's a clinical psychologist, and I said, uh, Steve, uh, look at this verse. Let's talk about this verse. Does this qualify for depression? And he would look at it through his eyes as a psychologist through the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual on Mental Health Disorders, about a thousand-page book. And he didn't even have to look. He said, of course, Jim. Of course it would. It describes major depressive disorder. Of course the writer was depressed. Some of the most publicly visible and names that are most recognizable in our culture have struggled with depression all of their adult lives. Did you know that? Winston Churchill, a statesman. Brooke Shields, an actress. Vincent van Gogh, an artist. Ludwig van Beethoven, a composer. Terry Bradshaw, an athlete and comedian. And Abraham Lincoln, an amazing president. Think of all the things that those people have done and did do in their lives, even through their depression. Listen to what Abraham Lincoln said. Listen, listen to his heart. I am the most miserable man living. If what I feel were equally distributed to the whole human family, there would not be one cheerful face on earth. Whether I shall be better, I cannot tell. I awfully forebode, I shall not. To remain as I am is impossible. I must die to get better, it appears to me. Do you hear the suffering? Oh. Some occupations are especially high risk for causing depression. I do a fair amount of work with medical first responders and emergency room workers, child protection workers, law enforcement, especially correctional officers. Difficult occupation. And clergy and their spouses. Does that surprise you? 
I did extensive research on that in my, for my doctoral dissertation. Challenging occupation. Take care of your pastor. So let me ask you a question. The psalmist writes of his soul panting for relief and his soul being downcast in tears, crying for days. Is that from a physical ailment? Is his depression from a physical struggle or a spiritual struggle? It's a penetrating question if you think about it. There is no doubt that some depression and some causes of depression and mental health struggles are absolutely physical. There's no doubt about it. It's It's unquestionable. Traumatic brain injury, dementia, Alzheimer's disease are physical conditions that frequently and often cause depression not only in in the sufferer, but those who love them and are caring for them. I frequently refer clients to their family physician uh, for situations like that so they can attend to that portion of themselves, the physical selves in their struggles. And in some cases, I said, as much counseling work is is needed by the caregivers of the family members as the one that's suffering. But since the mid-90s, there's been a dramatic increase in what's called psychiatric problems in mental health. Uh, Chemical imbalances is what we most frequently hear. Unlike true uh, medical uh, diseases or injuries, there's no imaging studies or lab studies that can show, yes, this person is depressed. Yes, this person uh, has this disorder or that disorder. Actually, lab and imaging studies are rarely even prescribed for people they're, they're complaining and have the complaint of a psychological struggle. Fortunately, there are medications uh, called psychotropic meds that, uh, that can help some people with some of their symptoms, and it can be dramatic. It absolutely can. Uh, for those uh, considering that, I encourage you to get careful and I would even say uh, multiple opinions on that, course of, on that course of treatment. And listen and follow your clinician's instructions carefully. There are likely some physical uh, causes of the struggles and depression, but there are aspects of it too that are clearly spiritual, clearly. Commonly, people who are depressed struggle and, and talk about things like shame and guilt and thanklessness and loneliness and unforgiveness, hopelessness, unbelief and anger and thoughts of self-harm. Oh my, what a hard way to live. Ministry to the people to people who are depressed must start with compassion and listening. And remind them that they are not alone in this. They are not separate from other people 
and certainly not apart from God. Be willing to mourn with those who mourn, Romans 12, and encourage them. I'm talking to the caregivers and those who love them now. The caregivers, encourage them in the Lord. I don't mean positive thinking or modifying their behavior. I'm talking about the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Paul says, listen to this encouragement that Paul gives us in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Indeed, in our hearts we have felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might re not rely on ourselves, but God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such deadly peril as, we, as he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as we help, as you help us with your prayers. He's saying our strength and our abilities are not in ourselves, but in God. And listen, people who are depressed need to hear that, need to be reminded of that. And oftentimes respond so wonderfully to that. It's also true that... Uh, that those who are caring for those who are depressed need to be reminded of that. So the caregiver, the life partner themselves, constantly needs to be refilled and encouraged. And I'm constantly encouraging caregivers, stay connected to the church. Stay connected to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Stay connected to the Lord in prayer and reading the Word. It's critical being refilled as a caregiver is not optional. Because if you don't get refilled, if you don't submit yourself to the refilling of the Lord's care, you'll run out of resources. Some final thoughts. Those who suffer with depression, it can be tempting to wonder, how could a loving God allow this to happen? allow such a burden in my life, in the life of the one that I love. At those times, our enemy Satan can bring temptation to think that there is no hope. Won't he? Of course he will. He'll be tempted. He'll tempt us to think there really no one is listening, not even God. He can't hear and he won't help. Of course, that's a lie because he's a liar. And that's why I'm sure Peter tells us in 1 Peter, in, in, in 1 Peter 5, 8, be self-controlled, be alert, what? For your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. How do you stand firm in the faith in a situation like this? Regarding spiritual, regarding depression. What does it mean to stand firm with someone at a time like this? One writer I, had, I was looking at gave a list of really practical things that I'll share with you, and I'll make these notes available to you later if you want. One of his uh, suggestions, be physically present with those who are depressed. Be present and be encouraging. Pray with them often and pray aloud. Listen, if somebody comes to me and says, I have a terrible toothache, would you pray for me? Sure. 
Now, they're hoping I'm praying for their tooth. I could be thinking about the ball scores. As opposed to, Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for bringing relief to my friend. And see what's happening? That person is hearing me pray for them. Not comfortable with praying aloud? Then I, I, I have practiced on Callie a lot of times, and she receives my prayers just fine. We get, we get effective at praying aloud when we pray aloud and when we believe what we're saying. Clean their house and wash their cars with them. How practical is that? How wonderful is that? Because those who are depressed can, can look at cleaning their house and washing their car as an insurmountable mountain. Read the Psalms together with them aloud, hearing the word of God. Read and sing some old hymns from song, old songbooks. Listen, some of those old hymns are amazing and very encouraging. And last, go for a brisk walk and exercise with them. Study after study after study is showing that I'm not talking about a leisurely stroll. I'm talking about physical, uh, aggressive physical exercise four or five days a week is incredibly helpful for those who are depressed. Very, very helpful. I like that list because it seems to address all four of the aspects of who we are that I listed. And if, uh, if you're the one struggling with depression, I encourage you to go back and read Psalm 42. My soul is downcast, therefore I will. Did you catch that? He didn't try to talk himself out of being depressed or being downcast. He said, because I am downcast, therefore, this is what I'm going to do. I will praise you, my Savior and my God. Become absolutely determined to submit your heart, soul, mind, and strength to the glory and the praise of our Lord. Regardless of how we feel. Paul's life was amazing, and the wonderment uh, of, his, of his life was not just as an effective teacher and preacher, but also his willingness to surrender himself to the ministry of Christ. And he suffered. <laughs> Don't you remember when, when Jesus sent, the risen Jesus sent Ananias to Saul of Tarsus? He said, oh, yes, I'm going to use him to be my witness to the Gentiles and to kings, but I also will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Paul did preach some of the most powerful sermons ever uttered from a human mouth, but he also suffered. Suffering and depression are not new. He suffered physically and mentally and emotionally. And as a result of that, listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians 4, beginning at verse 6. Now listen to this. For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this in jars, what? Jars of clay. 
to show that this surpassing power is from God and not from us. Have you noticed that your jar is made of clay? <laughs> and one of the ways that they can be honest is when we struggle with depression. Dear friends, David writes in Psalm 139 that we are fearfully and wonderfully made by our Lord. He has given us the ability to know and to do things, to perceive and to accomplish things, to be aware of ourselves and others, and to choose life and not death, and to choose Christ and not ourselves. With this awareness, and now listen, with this awareness that God has given us the ability to do and to have, which is unique in all of the earth, comes also the awareness and the reality that our abilities will fail and that our jars are indeed made of clay. But it's not a curse. It's an opportunity for God to be fully revealed in us. And so as we experience depression, anxiousness, the first cousin of depression, as we experience those things, as our loved one experienced those things, be encouraged to answer the question, how could God possibly make that ha allow that to happen? Answer the question that you can go through this through the power and the empowerment of the risen Christ and the written and the holy word of God through his spirit. We are not victims. We are not victims, but Christ's ambassadors, even when the world seems gray and hopeless. The ministry of Scripture and the presence of the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, are our solution and the balm of relief. Let's pray. Father, I pray, Lord, and now we all submit ourselves to your care. We bow before you this morning, God, with a full confidence that we are in no danger of this physical world. God, your word says, uh, don't worry about who can take uh, harm our body, but be mindful of who can take our soul. And Lord, we give our soul readily and willfully to you. I pray, Father, in Jesus' name now that, that this issue of, of, of depression would come out of the dark and be brought into the light of Christ. Father, so that uh, he can be shown in us and through us and for us that you have not left us or abandoned us. But, Father, that we, continue to, we can continue to be your ambassadors, even in this trial. Father, I thank you for the honor of being with this fellowship again. And submit, we, Father, we submit ourselves to your care completely in Jesus' name. Amen.